0: Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, the Christmas season is over. Don't know if you noticed or not. Uh, that means a couple things. That means, for one thing, it's time to take down those thinking Christmas lights, right? Like, seriously, it's mid-January already. Let's do that today. also means that we will, less frequently over the course of the next few months, hear the phrase, Jesus is the reason, as in for the season. Nonetheless, Jesus still is the reason why you and I are here. But who, after all, is Jesus? What was he like? What is he like? Uh, Was Jesus short or tall? Was he funny or serious? Was he sarcastic or sweet? Was Jesus more likely to laugh or cry or both? Uh, Was Jesus the Christ? Was he the Savior? Was he the Lord? Is he the Christ, Savior, Lord? And what do those words even mean? And what does Jesus think about the things we think about? What would he do if he were one of us? If he were a member of Christ's church, which service would he attend? Uh, Where would he serve? Would he be a greeter? Would he work with the kids? Would he preach every weekend? Uh, Would he sing? And if so, who would he be singing to? (laughs) If Jesus were an American, would he vote for a Republican? Would he vote for a Democrat? Would he vote for a Mormon? Would he vote for a warmonger or a socialist or a third party ticket? Would he vote at all or would he run for president himself? Would Jesus recycle? Would he tell you to recycle? Would he believe in things like man-made global warming? Would Jesus carry a gun? And if so, would he shoot it? And if so, what would he shoot it at? What was his mom like? Was she a revolutionary? The song certainly seems to make it seem like she was. Was she a virgin? And why do the Catholics seem to care about her so much? And why do we seem to care about her so little? Did Jesus really perform healings, exorcisms and other miracles and if so, why? Did he really tell stories, argue with religious leaders, uh, talk about choose 12 followers, talk about the kingdom of God? Why? Was he God? Was he a man? And if he was both, how does that work? And in his life, was his career organized around one central purpose, or was he just sort of going around doing whatever seemed best in the moment? And what about this death that so obviously and defensively dominates the story? And why was this death not the end of his story, but in some way, another beginning? Who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? Today we begin our study of the Gospel of Mark, which is of course designed to help us answer not all of these questions, but the most important ones, certainly the main one, who is Jesus. I think we'd all acknowledge that were it not for Jesus, none of us would have any reason to be here, and yet if we're honest, we would all admit that we have much to learn about him. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Mark, and if you're new to the Bible, there's no shame in that. For now, just look at the table of contents, find Mark or Gospel of Mark, and then turn to the page number. If you are new to the Bible, maybe you made a New Year's resolution to get back in church for the first time in a long time or ever. If so, great. We're glad you're here. We want to be good hosts, and we actually have a lot of opportunities for learning this, uh, this next season on our Wednesday night programming for people who are new to this book. So check out our options out there. We'd love to get you plugged in. For now, though, you can use the table of contents and find Mark. Also, one other thing, I'm going to be talking about the gospel of Mark today, so I'm going to be saying Mark a lot, and I want to make sure you know I'm not talking about Mark Christian, two different guys. Uh, I think I understand some things about the gospel of Mark. I don't understand Mark Christian. (laughs) I would never presume to try to figure out a person who can simultaneously be a Cubs fan and a follower of Jesus. Like I... (laughs) I just don't get how that works. So, uh, okay, cheap shots over. Gospel of Mark. We're not going to get much further than the first verse, and even then, we're only going to scratch the surface. Here's how Mark begins his story. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Who is Jesus. Man, that is the question, isn't it? It's a great question for early January. I I don't know if you're a resolutions person, fine if you are, fine if you're not, but I can't think of a better way to kick off 2015, or any other year for that matter, than by taking a long and sustained look at Jesus. What we always need most is a clear vision of Jesus. That's what Mark would have us believe anyhow. Mark is convinced that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going on in our minds and our hearts, our workplaces, our homes, our relationships, our marriages, our children, no matter what's happening inside or all around us, what we always need more than anything else is to see him clearly. We need a picture of Jesus, Mark would tell us, that aligns with, that corresponds to who he actually is. Really, Mark? How can you say that? Have you not seen our world? Do you not know me? I mean, do you not know that what what I need most right now is not something as impractical and highfalutin as a clear vision of Jesus. What I need is, is help for communicating with my spouse. What I need is wisdom so that I don't screw up my kids. What I need is a couple of days where I just don't have a whole lot of things that need to get done. Or if you broaden it out to a global scale, come on, Mark, are you not paying any attention? What we need is what we've always needed, peace in the Middle East and elsewhere. I mean, maybe if Mark knew about ISIS and Ukraine and now Paris, maybe then he wouldn't provide such a simplistic answer. No, no, I'm pretty sure Mark wouldn't change a thing. Matter of fact, he wrote his gospel into a world not too different than ours, to people not too different than us. Uh, Mark was from, he wrote his gospel in the late 60s, about 68, 69 AD, and he was from Jerusalem and he was writing to Rome. And during these years, 66 to 70, there was a huge war going on in between the place where he was from, Jerusalem, and the people who he now was leading, these Christians in Rome. That's not an easy time to write a book. In the last decade, the people who he's writing to, these small numbers of Christians in Rome, had experienced two major earthquakes. Some of you know all too well what that's like. Uh, They'd experienced uh, political threat because the Parthians were defeating the Romans on the east. They had had an emperor go crazy, starts killing his family members and friends, starts lighting Christians on fire and using them as lanterns for his dinner parties. I mean, their world was falling apart. They knew chaos. They knew worry. They knew fear and Mark says to these folks who are anxious about a world full of earthquakes and wars and persecution and political turmoil and says, what you need most is a clear vision of Jesus. My task today is fairly simple. I want to introduce you to the gospel of Mark and talk a little bit about the first verse. Now, when I teach the Gospel of Mark at the college, I spend uh, two hours introducing my students to the Gospel, and three more hours talking about the first verse. So I hope you're not into the playoffs, because we're going to be here for a little while. Kidding, I'll keep it short as I can, and we're going to talk a bit about 1-1, one, one, but mainly we're going to introduce ourselves and orient ourselves to the Gospel as a whole. Here's how I think about what I'm, what I'm want to do with you and for you this morning. You ever been to, well, you have, you've been to a restaurant, you know, and if you go to restaurants where like maybe they have their own shtick or they do things differently or they think they do anyway, the waiter or waitress will come to your table and the first thing they'll say is, have you ever been here before? And if you say yes, then they just go about their business ordering food and so on and so forth. But if you say no, then they explain to you, here's how it works here. Here's how to get the most out of this experience. Buy one, get one appetizers, or you should order as a family because we have big portions or whatever it may be. That's kind of what I'm doing today. We're about, to, we're about to have this meal called the Gospel of Mark, right? And I want to tell you how it works so that you can get the most out of it. Another, another uh, just sort of example of, of what I'm trying to accomplish, is something that many of you did just a couple weeks ago on Christmas morning. You know, your kids open up these new toys. Maybe it's a game or a toy or a thing with batteries and parts and pieces. And they just want to start playing with it. And you're just like 17 hours, you're like still undoing those crazy twisty ties. You know what I'm talking about? What's going on? I don't even, it's like army grade. Anyway, so you're trying to take the thing apart and put it back together and figure out how it works, and they're just pieces are going everywhere, and they just want to play, and you're thinking, listen, you are going to, we are going to play with this toy for all of 10 minutes until you get bored with it, but first, we've got to figure out how it works. I've got to make sure and get all the parts out, put them all together, get the batteries in, understand, read the instruction manual, those kind of things. That's what I'm doing uh, for you, I hope, today. Let's talk about the parts and how they all work together to accomplish the whole. Let's talk about some guidelines for reading Mark. Now, normally, uh, if you want to take notes, great. If you don't, no worries. I would encourage you to today. I'd encourage you to grab that little insert and write down in the, fill in those blanks so that at least for the next few months, you could keep that right at the front of the Gospel of Mark, and every time you read it, you can go back to these and use these principles as helps so that you can read it well. So, without any more delay, here they are, guidelines for reading Mark. Number one, <clears throat> you ready for this? Read it. <laughs> like you didn't expect your minds to get blown. Today. If this was 1994, right now you would say, like, duh. Okay? But it needs to be said. Because for one thing, we're not big readers in our culture. According to Para Publishing, they did a study not too long ago and found that one third of high school graduates never read another book, and 42% of college graduates follow suit. They discovered that 70% of US adults haven't been to a bookstore, haven't stepped foot in a bookstore in the last seven years, and 80% of American families didn't purchase or read a book last year. Like I said, we're not big readers. Now, I don't want to give excuses to anyone, but let's just be honest, like adults, we could point to some things that are in our favor. I mean, kids these days don't know how good they have it in terms of helping them develop as learners and readers, you know what I mean? Just think about the cartoons they watch. I cut my teeth on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, you know what I'm talking about, right? By the Power of Grey School. still a great show. Everyone should still watch it, it will teach you great things, but it's not doing a whole lot for ACT scores, you know what I mean? And my kids are cutting their teeth on bilingual shows like Handy Manny and Dora, you know? I mean, we did have two educational shows in our day, Sesame Street, which I think is probably still going, and Reading Rainbow. And these are great, but if you think about it, Sesame Street's wonderful, but it gives you like one letter at a time, you know? It takes like six months to write a single sentence. It's going to be a while. And Reading Rainbow is a great idea. But think about what's actually happening. Here you have a bunch of kids who read all these books and then tell me all of the wonderful things in them. Like, you just told me everything in the book. Why would I go read it myself, right? So anyway, while it may be sad that we don't read more than we do, it's dangerous that we ignore this book as much as is our custom. Dallas Willard said that the most important thing for a church to do together is to read and reread and meditate on and study and read and reread the Gospels. Now, we I promise you, we will do our very best to preach and teach well from this book from right here. But nothing makes up for you actually reading the story yourself. Read it. Read it in the morning, read it on your lunch break, read it at night, read it alone, read it with your friends, read it with your family, read it in your Bible, read it on your phone, listen to it in audio version. I don't care how you do it, just, do it, just read it. Read it. But we're all friends here, and so we can all admit that sometimes reading the Bible is tough. It's not just that it's a big book, it's that it's a strange and confusing one, and nobody enjoys reading what they don't understand. So let me give you some specific guidelines for understanding the gospel of Mark. Number two, focus on the focus. It's not a typo. Focus on the focus, which is who is Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes my frustration with the Bible is not that I don't understand the words and sentences that I'm reading. It's that I don't like, why are we even talking about what we're talking about? I don't even know what a chapter or a story is supposed to be doing. Let me give you an example. I'm not going to paraphrase this one because I would totally get myself or someone else into trouble. But let me read to you a verse from Deuteronomy. This is Deuteronomy 25, 11, and 12. It's in the Bible, right? I'm just going to read straight off the page. I'm not making this up. It says, If two men are fighting, and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand. Show her No pity. What the heck are we talking about? You know what I mean? This is in the Bible. And now I'm not going to talk about Deuteronomy 25 today. I'll let Mark do that some other day. But it illustrates the struggle of I don't even know what's going on. But with the Gospels, we can keep it simple. It's about Jesus. It's about answering the question, who is Jesus? Every story has one overarching point or tension or conflict or question. Star Wars is about rescuing the galaxy from the dark side. Harry Potter is about Harry discovering how he's going to defeat Voldemort. Frozen is about Elsa learning to control her powers. The Godfather is about the family. You know, every story has its focus. And we know Mark's focus, so I don't need to say a whole lot here. I just want to remind you what you know and give you a practical step for putting it into practice. When you're reading Mark, When you're reading a story from Mark or a chapter for the day or however you decide to take it in, ask the question, who is Jesus? Because no matter what else is going on in that text, that's what it's designed to show you. So when you read about Jesus arguing with Pharisees over the Sabbath, there's all sorts of interesting things in there. Don't lose sight of the key question, who is Jesus? And when you hear Jesus tell strange stories about lampstands or sowing seeds or give teachings about wealth or divorce, divorce, remember that the main point is that you might see Jesus. So ask, what does this teach me about Jesus? And when you see Jesus calming the storm, or touching a leper, or casting out a demon, or dying on a cross, don't forget to ask the question, who is this guy? A few weeks ago, Mark Christian said something in a sermon that resonated with me. He said, just because Jesus is king of the world doesn't mean he's king of me. He will not force himself upon us. We must invite him. Realize that you are always living out your vision of Jesus. Every moment of your lives, you are responding to what you see and think of him. Who is Jesus? It is neither exaggeration nor excessive rhetoric to say that how you answer this question changes everything. Number two, focus on the focus. Who is Jesus? Number three, keep your eye on the big picture. I know some of you are big picture people, and so you love this kind of thing. Others of you are kind of more detail-oriented, but for all of us, it's beneficial before we jump into the specifics to know kind of the the bird's eye view. So let me give you a bird's eye view of the gospel of Mark. I'm going to try to draw you a picture, which my students could tell you is a dangerous thing, but here we go. So so pretend this is a whiteboard. Uh, Basically, the way the gospel of Mark works is there are 16 chapters, and it divides almost perfectly in half. So you have chapters 1 through 8, and you have chapters 9 through 16. So those are really the two major sections here, 1 through 8 and 9 through 16. Don't make fun of my writing. So those are the two halves of the gospel. And the whole point of the first half of chapters 1 through 8 is very, like laser-focused on, on showing this. Jesus is the Christ. Now, X is the first letter in the Greek word for Christ. That's where that comes from. So Jesus is the Christ. In Mark's context, he's saying Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the one who was sent as the King of Israel to deliver you from bondage. He is everything you want, he's everything you hope for, what you've been waiting for. And in a more general sense, we can acknowledge that Mark's point is the same for us. I don't know all of you, I don't know what you come in here with, but I know that all of us come in here hoping Jesus is something hoping that he can put us back together or teach us the truth or bring joy into our our sad world or whatever it may be. And Mark wants us to know Jesus is that. Jesus can do that. He's here to save you. He's here to serve you. He's here to put you back together again. Jesus is the Christ. So when you're reading the first half, always look at that and and recognize that this is proving to you that Jesus is the Christ and showing why that matters. So when it talks about him teaching with authority or acting with authority, the point is he's the Christ. And when he's healing stuff and putting the world back together, the point is this is what the Christ has come to do. He is the Christ. And so then we make a turn, though, in the very middle of the gospel, in the, between chapters eight and nine, right? Really, it's actually the back half of eight. And the second half of the gospel is equally focused on this. The Christ is headed for a cross. You see, it's good news that Jesus is the Christ. It is shocking that Jesus is headed for a cross. What? That's, not, that's not what Christ's do. And the back half of the gospel is all about how Jesus' kingdom doesn't look anything like you thought it would. Jesus' messiahship, his Christhood is not what you would expect. He's headed to Jerusalem to die. And oh, by the way, he wants to take you with him. So when you read the second half, recognize that it's showing how his kingdom is a reversal of the values of our world. So as you read, keep a focus on the big picture. Keep one eye on the big picture and understand kind of how things are going, how the story is progressing, and how these individual pieces fit in. Number four, let the story draw you in. Let the story draw you in. Remember that this is a story and we need to read it like kids read stories or at least like my daughter reads stories. You know like whatever movie she's watched last because she will be in character, right? She can, she's four years old. She can keep an accent for like four hours. I don't know how, right? So she's getting character. Always been like this. A matter of fact, when she was younger, um, we had some friends babysitting her. She's probably a couple years ago. She was probably about two. And uh, they're babysitting her. Beth and I are out on a date and they're hanging out with her and all of a sudden she's just playing along and then she just fr- freezes and looks down. And they're a little worried about this. They're like, Claire, are you okay? Claire, what's going on? And she doesn't do anything. She just slowly looks up and reaches up her hand and starts walking. And they're like, what? Is, they're about to call us. Like, they don't know what's going on, you know? She's walking. She doesn't, she just doesn't, do, like, she doesn't see them or hear them. Walks over the wall, touches the wall, and then just falls down. And they're, in this moment, dialing our phone numbers to tell us something has gone wrong. When Claire jumps up all happy-like, of course she was playing Sleeping Beauty. Like, who didn't know that? You know what I mean? <laughs> Walk walking over to, the, to whatever that thing is and touching it down. She was in character. You're not breaking it. So we need, to, we, need to re- we need to read this story the way she does. Sometimes I think we forget that the Bible is a story. It's a narrative. And Mark very intentionally wrote this way. Let me set the scene for you. It's about uh, 60 mid, mid-60s to late 60s AD, and they're about a generation removed from the time of Jesus. So come, live, died, rose again. People are starting to die. Peter has either just died or he's about to die. Paul has either just died or he's about to die. And these guys were the leaders of the church. And they showed their leadership primarily by writing letters. And they would write letters and send them to churches like we have Romans and Philippians and 1 Thessalonians and 1 Peter. And then these letters would get passed around and they were great. All this theology, all these arguments about who Jesus was. And then Mark looks at this and says, this is wonderful, but we have to recenter ourselves in the story. People are like, Mark, we tell the story all the time. Yeah, I know, but we got to write it down and pass it around so that we don't lose our anchoring in the narrative of what Jesus came to do. Mark writes the story, and it's not just any story. It's a good story. It's a fast-paced, action-packed story. Mark is the shortest gospel overall. I think Mark Christian maybe mentioned that. He's the shortest overall. But when Mark includes a story that the others include, he tells a longer version of it almost every time because he likes the details of the story. You won't find much of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of Mark. You read Matthew or Luke or John, you get these long sermons. You read Mark, oh no, it's not about Jesus talking. There's a little bit of that, but it's about Jesus acting, doing this over here and doing this over there. And his actually favorite word is immediately. 42 times he uses the word immediately. Out of 51 times in the entire New Testament, immediately Jesus went over here and he taught this person. And then immediately Jesus went over here and he made this religious leader look dumb. And then immediately he went over here and he healed this person. Immediately, 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 Mark wants us to get caught up in the story. So I guess what I'm saying is don't denarrative this thing. Don't turn it into a list of principles for daily living. Those things are valuable, but that's not Mark's goal. Let the story draw you in. Find yourself in it. What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? What's the look on Jesus' face? What's the tone in Jesus' voice? If you were a character, which one would you be and what in the world would you be thinking? Let the story draw you in. Number five, read with a readiness to obey. Speaking of kids, uh, I think sometimes sometimes God holds back information that would be helpful to us because he loves us. And he knows that if he tried to tell us, we wouldn't listen. And if you have kids, you probably know what this is like. Uh, Maybe you're playing playing a game with your kid and and this toy's not working right or the game's not providing the fun they think it should. And you know why, because they're not doing it right. But you also know that they're in one of those modes where they're not going to listen to anything you say. And so there's no point in you saying anything because then they're just gonna ignore you and then they'll build a habit of ignoring you and that's not good for anybody. So you have to, because you love them, hold back from what you could tell them because they're just not having an attitude that makes them ready to hear it. I think that's the way God works with us and I think that will happen with this, with this gospel of Mark. I think God wants to say all kinds of new and fresh and interesting and exciting things to us but I think that there may be times when he can't because we're not reading with a readiness to submit no matter what. Remember this whole story is about Jesus being the authority. And in the uh, the first verse that we're kind of looking at today says the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That word beginning can mean two things, the start of something and the standard for something. It's like we talk about the founder of a company. They started it and then they ran it. And that's what's going on here. Mark isn't just saying this is how the story starts. He's saying if you want Jesus, this is what you got to deal with. If you want to get him right, you must start and stay here. So read with a readiness to obey, which leads us to our final point. Here's really the most important thing I'll say today. And if you've checked out because you're thinking about lunch or football or because it's too much of a lecture for you, I need you to lock in and hear this if you want to get this book. Number six, let Jesus surprise you. Let him surprise you. If there is one main point I think Mark is trying to get across about Jesus, this may be it. He'll surprise you. Jesus Christ is without doubt one of the most influential people in the history of the world. If you were to rip out from history, at least Western history, everything that has anything to do with Jesus, you wouldn't have much left if you had anything at all. Historians, scholars, philosophers of all stripes, they would admit that even if they don't like Jesus, even if they don't believe in Jesus, you cannot deny his impact. And he's pretty popular in our day, too. I mean, people may may not like us, the church, very much, but most people like him. Here's the problem, though the Jesus that most people love seems to be made of plastic or even Play Doh, this is ourselves included. It's almost like Jesus is so flexible, he can become whatever we've already decided we want. I'm not just trying to be dramatic, I think this is a real problem. I mean, think about the amount and variety of Jesus is on offer in our world today. You can get black Jesus and white Jesus and brown Jesus. You can get Republican Jesus and Democrat Jesus and even anarchist Jesus. You can get the Jesus who lives in suburbs or the Jesus who lives on the street. Jesus comes wearing a motor, or riding a motorcycle, smoking a cigarette, or he comes wearing a suit and tie, if you please. He can be your boss or your homeboy or your buddy or even a character on South Park. And while I admit that some of these cultural Jesuses are fairly harmless, others not so much. Let me read you a prayer, prayed by a person who believed in Jesus. It's a pretty beautiful prayer. Here's the, here's the prayer. O oh God, our heavenly guide, As finite creatures of time and as dependent creatures of yours, we acknowledge you as our sovereign Lord. Permit freedom and the joys thereof to reign forever throughout our land. May we forever have the courage of our convictions that we may always stand for you and for our great nation. Build within us that wisdom kindred to honorable decisions and the godly work. By the power of your infinite spirit and energizing strength, don't let us forget our oaths of secrecy and pledges of righteousness. Bless us now in this assembly that we may honor you in all things. We pray in the name of Christ, our blessed Savior, amen. It's a beautiful prayer prayed by a man named Sam Bowers, a passionate Christian committed to believing in and living the truth, or so he would have you think. The problem is that Sam Bowers was also a key 20th century leader in the white supremacist group Ku Klux Klan, and he prayed this prayer at a meeting of Klansmen on June 7th, 1964 after which he and his friends left that room armed with weapons in their hands and hatred in their hearts to rid the land of blacks and commies. And this is the kind of conclusion to a story that begins when we try to put Jesus in a box, when we try to make him look like what we already think he has to look like, when we try to make him look like us. And I realize that maybe few of us in this room are susceptible to such disgusting distortions of God's son as this, but we shouldn't assume immunity too quickly. Maybe especially if we've spent our whole lives inside the halls of a church. We need a jolt. We need a shock that will pull us out of our rut and surprise us with unexpected truth. And Mark wants to give it to us, but it will not happen. It won't work if we decide ahead of time who Jesus is allowed to be, what he's allowed to offer us and demand of us. Again, I think if there's one overarching point that Mark wants to make, it may be that Jesus will surprise you, he'll break your expectations. If you try to put them in a box, and we all do, that box isn't going to last very long. Can I state the obvious? We don't get to invent Jesus. He is who he is, and you and I have got to find some way to deal with that. He may call you to climb up on all kinds of crosses you never saw coming. And I can almost guarantee you that he'll come to you in ways you don't predict and that when you see him, you will be tempted to look away as if it were not him because he's not saying what you thought he would. I too believe that what we always need most is a clear vision of the Christ, of God's son, of Jesus I think God's answer to all of our problems always begins by showing us more of his son. Do not hinder God from blessing you in this way by deciding ahead of time who Jesus has to be. Let Jesus be Jesus. Let him define who he is and what he's gonna call for from you. Let him surprise you. And I wanna end today with another prayer, an ancient one written long ago, by faithful Jesus followers, meant to be prayed before the reading of God's word. And so let's pray this over our series as a whole. Father God in heaven, your wisdom is greater than our minds can attain. And one drop of your truth shows up all our learning. To those who study, give curiosity, imagination, and patience enough to wait and work for insight. Prepare our hearts to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, so that in hearing we may also listen, that in learning we may also obey. Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.